The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus again, in reply, spoke to the chief priests and the elders of the people, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He dispatched his servants to summon the invited guests to the feast, but they refused to come. A second time he sent other servants, saying, Tell those invited, Behold, I have prepared my banquet. My calves and fatted cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. Some ignored the invitation and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. They laid they rest laid the rest laid hold of his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged and sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The feast is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy to come. Go out, therefore, into the main roads and invite to the feast whomever you find. The servants went out into the streets and gathered all they found, bad and good alike. And the hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he saw a man there, not dressed in a wedding garment. The king said to him, My friend, how is it that you came in here without a wedding garment? But he was reduced to silence. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind his hands and feet, and cast him into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Many are invited, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. So I'm going to prove today that even without having a voice, I can, I can still give a long homily, a long-winded homily. <laughs> Jesus is clearly trying to shock us and wake us up in this parable. At this juncture in his public ministry, Jesus has been rejected over and over again for three years. He's just processed into Jerusalem and is ready to go on to his crucifixion. And he speaks kind of in his last days, trying in any way he can to wake up those who are still asleep. He's performed miracles in front of these people. He's spoken truthfully and tried to get them to recognize that he is who he is the key to everything, that he is the Messiah, and that the only way to the Father is through him. But the hard-hearted leaders of his audience are reluctant, and so Jesus speaks to us in these very graphic and vivid images, which are not to be understood as, just as all parables, 
are not to be understood as just a one-to-one. This means this and that means that. Parables are meant to be chewed on over time in prayer. And we could keep learning more and more. There's multiple meanings to these images that Jesus gives. I would like to focus today on the last image in the parable. This is a two-part parable. This, the last image in the parable is of this man who actually comes to the wedding feast, but he's not wearing the proper garment. And so the king has him cast out where they're out in the darkness where there's wailing and grinding of teeth. Cardinal George famously said, Cardinal George is the f- former cardinal of Chicago before Cardinal Supich. He famously said, Yes, the phraseology is fairly correct when we say all are welcome. All are welcome. Yes, Jesus goes into every single sector of humanity, those living the most sinful lifestyles and anti-God lifestyles, like a shepherd going to find lost sheep. All are invited. But But what Cardinal George said is, under Christ's terms. That's the part that is very important to understand in this last part of the parable. All are welcome, but under Christ's terms, not our terms. Jesus, of course, is both fully merciful and fully just. He is both incredibly gentle with us and meets us where we are at. He is also simultaneously incredibly demanding. Incredibly demanding. Those things are all at the same time with Jesus. And sometimes we try to make caricatures of Jesus. We try to make caricatures of Jesus that fit and suit our own needs. And so, I'd like to read a quote from St. Augustine. There, of course, are many valid interpretations of the parables. And even some of the greatest saints will have different reads on them. Again, because it's not a one-to-one image. And so... This is what St. Augustine says about the man in the white garment who's thrown out into the darkness and tortured. When everyone was seated, the master of the house came in to see his guests, and among them he noticed one without a wedding garment. He said to him, My friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Now, What precisely does this mean? Let us try to find out what it is that some believers have, but which the wicked lack, for that will be what the wedding garment is. Can it be one of the sacraments? Hardly. For these, as we know, are common to the good and the bad alike. Take baptism, for example. It is true that no one comes to God except through baptism, but not every baptized person chooses to come to God. 
We cannot take the sacrament as a wedding garment then, for it is a robe worn not only by good people, but also by the wicked people. Perhaps then the wedding garment is our altar that is meant, or at least maybe what we receive from it. He means the Eucharist here. But we know that many who approach the altar and eat and drink do so to their own damnation. What he means here is receiving the Eucharist unworthily. St. Paul speaks of that. Well then, maybe it is fasting. The wicked can fast too. What about going to church? Some bad people also go to church. What can this wedding garment be then? For an answer, we must go to the apostle, which is Paul, who says, the purpose of our command is to arouse the love that springs from a pure heart, clear conscience, and genuine faith. There is your wedding garment. It is not a love of just any kind. Many people of bad conscience appear to love one another, but you will not find in them the love that springs from a pure heart, clear conscience, and genuine faith. Only that kind of love is the wedding garment. So when we, I, <clears throat> I really like Augustine's interpretation here. I think it's excellent. One of the issues that we have when we hear these kinds of words, conscience, pure heart, faith, is they go right through us. And they are kind of tropey words. They're like the kind of words where you start to hear them. You, if you hear a priest start talking about those words, you start to zone out immediately. And so I just want to actually look into those things and just say a few words about those three things, which St. Augustine interprets as the white garment that we want to have on. You, don't, you, you do not want to not have this garment on. And so the first one is purity of heart. Purity of heart is meant to, is meant to connotate not only chastity, which is the integration and the proper orientation of our human sexuality. That is what chastity is. So not just that, purity of heart is we are single-minded towards the things of God. We are single-minded towards the things of God. That means our minds are not divided. We're not worshiping multiple gods along with the true God. That means we're not compartmentalizing God in our lives. And it's not just a Sunday one hour or a right before I go to sleep type thing. And then actually the thing that I'm at, I'm really orienting my life towards is the accumulation of wealth, a high powered career of some kind, going from one pleasure to the next pleasure, et cetera, et cetera. What is it that we orient our lives towards? What is it that we give attention to? And what is it that we worship? 
What are the things that we as human beings look forward to? We should pay attention. What am I looking forward to? That gives us a little hint of what the treasure is that we're aiming towards. Because where your treasure is, there also will be your heart, Jesus says. So purity of heart is a type of single-mindedness. And eventually, we start to really desire for the main desire of our heart as we continue to follow God and choose Him. We build an affection for God, and we start to look forward to Him. And it's not a life of drudgery to follow God. It's so good, there's nothing better. Purity of heart. Single-mindedness. A clear conscience. I am thoroughly and utterly convinced as a priest of seven, after seven years that sin is so real and it actually does what the scriptures and the Catholic Church says that it does. It dims the intellect. Sin messes us up. It really does. Um, again, this is so prominent and profound to me as a priest. This is the life that I live. But I, you can see how, um, as a priest dealing with people, as Bishop Sheen spoke about, there is this kind of um, blurry line between the, um, the psyche and the soul. And so we talk about being in a mental health crisis currently. Our young people uh, struggle with more mental health issues than any other previous generations. Why? This is because we have, in my estimation and opinion, we have gone farther away from God and so we don't even know what a human being is. Because you can only understand what a human being is and how to help a human being and how to heal a human being if you understand who God is, how he created us, what makes us sick, and what makes us healthy. And sin makes us sick. It dims the intellect. It cripples the will. Fulton Sheen was recounting a story to a bunch of priests at a conference. And he said this woman came up to him and said, please see my brother. He's in a depressive state. He's been so for a few years now. He's kind of um, physically very, very unwell and mentally very, very unwell. And Bishop Sheen said, I can help him if this is a spiritual problem. If this is a physical problem, I'm not going to be able to help him. And the man saw Bishop Sheen. And Bishop Sheen said, I want you to speak to me for 45 minutes and I will not interrupt you and just tell me about your life. The man at this point was like 100 pounds, Bishop Sheen said. He was pale white and he looked, even though he was a younger man, he looked kind of um, on the verge of death, so to speak. He was very sickly. But the doctors had never been able to find uh, what was going on over the past couple of years with this guy. At the end of the 45 minutes, Bishop Sheen said, how much did you steal? In a, in a gentle way, how, how much did you steal? The man said, I didn't steal anything. What are you talking about? And Bishop Sheen said, how much did you steal? 
And the man said, I never said anything about stealing. And Bishop Sheen said, I know you didn't. How much did you steal? And the man said, $3,000. And something that the man said tipped off Bishop Sheen that there, that there, is, this, there is a denial and a lack of repentance in the man and that this was the source of his ailment, his ailment. We can't ignore these things. We cannot ignore sin. Sin causes death in the self. And this is why we become increasingly more depressed and anxious. Unrepented sin. Unrepented sin. And so we must voice and admit when we fail um, to follow God's law that he has given us. That's why God, in his incredible goodness, has given us the sacrament of confession, the sacrament of reconciliation. Um, and we want to have a clean heart and a clear conscience. This allows us to be free. It allows us to live the type of life that God created us to live, a life of happiness and joy. And finally, Augustine says, in, a, in addition to a pure heart and a clear conscience, a genuine faith. And here, how we should understand the word faith is trust. It means building a trust with God where we're not self-reliant. And we're not just living some kind of life by ourselves without God. Just like a couple and a family depends on one another. So as a couple gets to know each other in, when they start dating, and eventually they start to make the decision, yes, I think I'm ready to commit my entire life to this person. They do that because over time, a steady relationship of trust builds between them where they think, yeah, I can put myself in a position where I can completely depend on this person until I die. Now, that's a very radical decision that many people make. It's very profound. This is very similar in the life of God. Over time, we continue to put more and more trust in God. And God continues to strengthen us. And all of a sudden, we have a confidence and a freedom as we walk through life. And we don't live in fear. We live in trust in God and his providence. And he becomes so real to us and so apparent to us that it's blaringly obvious for the person of faith. Jesus, help us to be clothed in the white garment that you speak of in your parable. Help us to have a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a ardent faith. Help us to repent when we fail, to move towards you, and to allow you to take care of us as you desire, and help us to enjoy the wedding feast that you have planned for us, for all of us that you've had plan for us before we were even born. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And let us take a few moments in silent prayer to listen to and speak with the Lord Jesus.